Today, we're talking to Ed McLaughlin, president and CTO at MasterCard, about their next level technology and Ed's perspective on putting people first. You're listening to Joel Beasley, Modern CTO. I wanted to start with just helping me have an understanding of where payments are and like what's happening in the payments world right now. Yeah, and, and payments are one of the most dynamic parts, I think, of technology. If you've seen the rise of fintech, if you see the expansions that are going on. So I always say one of the great things about being at MasterCard is it's one of those anchored human activities. Like we entertain ourselves, we chat with each other, we buy stuff. If you think of you know, how e-commerce and, 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 and the internet has evolved. So we provide the mechanisms that let people do what they want to do. You know, no one actually wants to do a payment. You're trying to do something else, and this is how we make it happen. So I see it moving in a couple of directions. The digitization of everything. You know, we've all seen that. And I remember a few years ago where people thought what we did was that iconic plastic card. For me, that's just a token we used to have to give you to get you onto the network. So we're now seeing cars as embedded payment platforms. We're seeing everything we're doing through mobile applications, everything we're doing through digital applications. As gaming gets more and more immersive, we're weaving payments into that experience. So your ability to, to buy stuff, to engage in commerce, to have access to everything on the MasterCard network, wherever you happen to be, that's been an amazing, amazing shift for us. The other big thing that's happening in payments though, which is probably even more exciting, because these are things we can do for you and me. We're also using this new connectivity to reach and serve people we never could before. So quite a few years ago, it was 2014 at Mobile World Congress, we said the internet of everything must lead to the inclusion of everyone. And we made a commitment to bring over a half a billion people into the formal financial system. Because if we can connect you digitally, but you're not connected financially, you're still cut off. So all of the options that we enjoy online, you don't have access to. Well, we did that. We brought a half a billion people in and we're working to bring the next half a billion people. So with new partners, working with government organizations and just expanding the reach of the benefit that we can bring out to people. So it's an amazing time to be in payments. Yeah, I was having a conversation with Shri from PayPal a yeah. couple months oh, back. Shri, well, yeah. Uh, yeah, he's a great guy. And uh, Shri, I love you, but you need a better microphone. Uh, we'll, <laughs> send, we'll send him a microphone. <laughs> So I was talking with him and he made a good example to me about the future of payments. And he said that they're going to become sort of like in the background. So yeah. I forget the exact phrase, but he said, when you go, when you do an Uber, what's the exact moment that you pay? And I was stunned. I was like, I don't know. It kind of happens in the atmosphere, right? Right. And uh, like background payments. And, and so I was curious, are we going to see more of that? Yeah. The phrase we usually use for that is contextual commerce where okay. it used to be payment was a distinct thing. You know, maybe there's like a gray box terminal sitting there that you would interact with to do the ceremonial payment thing. Well, we're seeing more and more, and this is what happens in everything digital, that you know, those APIs, that experience is woven in to everything else you're doing. So if you're in a deeply immersive gaming environment, right, you want to be able to level up or do the next thing without it breaking the flow. If you're in your car, and you want to drive up to the parking gate and you're told you know, to the parking garage and the gate opens for you and you go through, you just did a payment. So a lot of it is exactly that, is we're figuring out all the, the different contexts of what people are trying to do. And we share our roles to make that happen as seamlessly and as securely as possible. 
because that only works if you have the right security, if you have the right parameters set up around it. But then we can bring all sorts of new and incredibly rich experiences. Yeah, and I, I think about that because it's it, it becomes easier to live your life, but it also becomes easier to spend money. So I could see how there could be some some negative side of that. But at the same time, you know, look, I'm an optimist and I'm a technologist. And if you put a bunch of really smart people on making life really easy, that's just going to come along with it. That's exactly right. And and you're not deciding the payment; you're deciding what it is you want to do. Mm-hmm. And then we just make that safe, secure, simple, and really, really fast. Are there any interesting ways people are doing sort of confirmation of these payments? Like, for example, in the Amazon store, you pick the different items and then you have this like moment of checkout. But if you were talking about, let's let's use your example of driving yeah. into the parking garage, is there any sort of like interaction or feedback that I'm getting from the system that's like, hey, if you continue to go, you're going to get this payment or is it just completely seamless? Well, I think there's two things for that, right? And let's go engineering, right? There's binding and telemetry, which always has to be involved on these things. So the first of is very much when you say to do this thing, I want to use this MasterCard. I want to use it in this way. Sometimes we have limits you can set on it. And then there's also alerts and notification. So you can get actually more feedback and more information about what you're doing and you can subscribe to that. So it's essential that people feel like they're in control and know exactly what's going on but you make it as easy as possible to use. So I think about first, just how you set that up. This is the instrument I want to use. Here's how I want to use it. Here's where I want to go. I'm going to have my car be able to talk to the parking garage. Great. And then how do you get that notification of the information so at your fingertips at all time, you can see exactly what's going on. You can turn it off. You can turn it back on. And, and one of the critical factors, I think, for all of us to see that adoption of these new experiences is people want to feel like they're not losing any control, but they're getting mm. all sorts of new convenience. That's what I was getting at. Yeah, you want to still you want to feel like you have this ability to control it, and you want to actually have control. But it, I guess the burden ultimately is going to end up falling on you know a company like yours to figure out how to how to handle that uh, so that people will use the technologies versus shunning them, right? Yeah, and that's that's the uh, we spend a lot of time on the user experience and working backwards for that. So you'll see interesting things. I'll use um, you know classic e-commerce for an example, right? If everything's worked perfectly, technically you shouldn't have a notification. And some of you know environments people like the click-through box to say, "Hey, everything went great." Click yes, okay, right? They they want that acknowledgement. So we spend a lot of time thinking about the experience. And there's that mix of just making it seamless as well as making sure people feel like they always know exactly what's going on. And that's why the contextual commerce aspect of that is so, so important to make sure that you feel that that the systems are serving you and you're getting exactly what you want out of it. Yeah, and I really like that phrase. Today is my first time hearing that. And I was like, when I heard it, I'm like, that makes sense. That's That's a good categorization for this technology. You've been at MasterCard 20 years, man. That's just crazy. About, yeah. How did you do it? Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's really funny because I, I grew up in startup. I actually grew up on the creative destruction side of the business. And I think in my time at MasterCard, I feel like I've worked for a couple of companies just because of how dynamic the industry is. So I came in when we were getting ready for our IPO. A lot of people don't know that we IPO'd MasterCard in 2006. And it was, a, I think, around a $4 billion valuation. And I don't, I don't look, but I think we're north of 350 now. So it's been an incredible growth and incredible time for that. 
And it really was going from that first wave of card-based payments to how we enabled everything to make it safe for e-commerce. And then with a whole wave of mobile, working with Apple and Android, enabling that. And now, now the general theme we have where literally every device could be a commerce device, like anything you're interacting with. So if you think of an Internet of Things environment, when the sensor says, I'm hungry, you know, that's an opportunity for that contextual or seamless commerce we've talked about. So the evolution of MasterCard, where we were, you know, really starting as a payments company and building it to being a, a, a real pure play technology company and the things we've done with AI, things we've done with services around it, the things we've done to extend where and how you can use your product. Like I said, the work we've been able to do with financial inclusion, reaching people all over the world we never could before. It's just been an amazing growth story. Yeah, I mean, it, it sounds like it makes sense to me. So I did financial uh, planning software before I started the podcast. Okay. This was seven, seven to 10 years ago. So I did a series of, of catch-ups about two years ago where I had on like Robinhood and Credit yeah. Karma and a bunch of different people in the financial space just to see what was happening because I, I was excited. And they talked about uh, like the underbanked people, right? Yeah. And that they're like, opening into new countries or new communities and reaching the under... That seemed to be something that the financial services industry really took on. Yeah, yeah. And and it is because the key to anything is sustainable economic development. That comes from commerce, right? That comes from helping people. It comes from what we can literally do, which is giving people safe ways to access and store their funds, giving merchants ways to sell more to more people, open up to both digital and physical channels and bringing all that together in, in a safe way. So I think that's really where uh, uh, the, the, the shift to digital first has benefited us tremendously because of all the people we can now reach and talk to that, that the traditional models just wouldn't support. So one of the questions I, I had was, do you or do you know, does MasterCard publish like shopping or spending trends on their yeah. data? Yeah, we actually have a really great thing we published out called Spending Pulse. So we get to see a, a pretty big slice of the economy just because of the, 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 the market we're, markets we're in. But we actually look and can gauge the whole economy for that. So we work with government agencies, we work with all of our customers, and we actually publish out a Spending Pulse report where we can see the actual spend, predict the trends. We do a lot of work on, you know, where is inflation going? How is consumer spend shifting as market conditions change? So one of the, the the great things we're able to do, and always in a completely anonymized and aggregated way, we, we don't really want to know what any individual is doing on the network, nor do we actually have that information. But we can look at all of the overall trends and flows in the network and make really, really accurate predictions about what's going to happen next. So um, we can get you more on it, but Spending Pulse is just a great resource. That's very cool. I've been asking a lot of companies lately that have this huge overview into the economy yeah. if they're doing it. I would say most aren't, but some are. And I always think it's really cool because that's good information, especially if we can anonymize it and understand what's happening. Um, yeah. And, and, and you, you touched on a really important topic, if I could build on that one, because I think what we're seeing over and over again is it's essential for custom companies to make sure that, that they're using data in a responsible way. So we've been a long leader in things like ethical use of AI. Uh, we have a consumer data bill of rights we've published out a few years ago that you know exactly the data we have, you know how we use it, we know what we're using it for, and we use the data to make the service we give you better. So if we get really precise fraud scoring, because we can see so much commerce activity, what does it mean? 
the only loser is the the fraudster. It means more good transactions can go through. We can do a better job taking care of you. So I think there for all of us as technologists, our job to make sure we're good stewards of the information that people give us from the services we provide to them, and then we can use it to generate incredible new value, like you talked about, about better predictions about where the economies go. So most people think of MasterCard as a credit card or maybe a payment processor. Yeah. Is that what it is or are you in other services? Have you gotten into banking and other other things? So what we do, we're a technology services provider, right? We don't issue the credit. We don't, you know, have the bank accounts. We don't do anything like that. We run a network that we connect together, you know, millions of merchants, tens of thousands of banks and, and, and bring all that together to enable the commerce around it. What we've been doing a lot over, particularly over the last five to 10 years, is expanded the services we can do around that. So things like incredibly sophisticated fraud scoring that we can do, the information like the spending pulse that we talked about earlier. We have digital identity services. We have open banking services that we can provide. But it all gets back to that core value of how are we enabling commerce? How are we leveraging the data information? How are we building on the technologies we have to really create new value, not only for the traditional banking and business or merchant, you know, customers that we have, but for governments, for the financial inclusion, really across the system. So when I apply for a MasterCard, mm -hmm. that's being underwritten by a bank. So it's not MasterCard themselves doing that. Right. Yeah. Okay. From, from literally from our founding, what we oh, are okay. is a network that was designed to bring together even, you know, our iconic logo, the interlocking yeah. circles. It's well, really bringing, there we go. There we go. It's really bringing yeah. together everywhere you want to shop, all the stores and retailers and everything else with your financial institution that whether it's a line of credit or your debit account or a prepaid account, we're working with governments on CBDCs, central bank digital currencies around mm -hmm. that. We have a, a big uh, effort in account to account payments or sort of real time ACH payments around that. But the heart has always been enabling commerce and bringing together what you want to do, where you want to shop, where you want to go, what you want to buy with where your accounts are. So any institution that you, you want to work with will give you a MasterCard. That means we're the network that's going to handle, handle the transactions for you. I'd argue 70% of society doesn't understand that. <laughs> <laughs> That's my well, number if I was a betting man. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We've been uh, we've been working that a long time. But yeah, so the relationship you have with is whatever financial institution or fintech or merchant with a co-brand, you know, if you want to go get an American Airlines uh, card, you can absolutely do that. And then what we do is we make sure it just works, you know, seamlessly everywhere you want it to be. And that's our part of the equation. Has the interest rates that have been just the act of them changing, has that affected anything in, in technology at all? How do you deal with that? So that doesn't necessarily affect the core technology we run. You know, in some ways from a tech standpoint, it just changes the dollar amounts or the whatever currency you're using that flow through the system. And we're in, I think it's, over 210 countries in regulatory domiciles. We do 150 different currencies. So we're part of just about, or literally every economy around the world. So when we see the shifts in inflations, things like people's spending pattern might change. You might spend a little bit more at the gas station and the grocery store than you might spend on restaurants and things of that nature. 
but it, it's just the type of commerce that goes through the network. It doesn't really impact us directly. Now, what is important for all of us is sustainable economic growth, healthy economies, you know, people doing well, increases in wages, all those things are, are just great because it's great for, for the economy. And mm -hmm. that's really where we benefit. Well, I'd say you guys are doing a pretty good job. I mean, as far as payment networks and go, I've been a consumer. I'm, I'm 35 for contact. So I've been using debit cards and, mm -hmm. and such and, and those networks for a while. And uh, it's always it always gives me a little bit of a smile when it happens so quickly, when they can detect yeah. fraud so fastly. And when I, I can just sit there and I'm shopping, I check out, I pump gas. It's like, it is so fast. I've always respected that as far as an engineer goes. And What's your philosophy? How do you find these people that you, they have to be people that tremendously yeah. care. They have to be the smartest people in the world. Like, how do you find them? How do you think about, you know, you're leading MasterCard and you have this expectation and this resiliency. How do you go about attracting those people to your teams? Well, what's kind of funny is it, it's not, you know, convincing someone who wants to make sort of like a streaming cool app type of thing. That's what they want to do. That's awesome. What I always look for is say what we do, like I said, what we do is really important, right? We've been designated as national critical infrastructure. Uh, you know, when COVID happened, we got the letter from the Secretary of Treasury to say, whatever you do and whatever you need, you got to stay up so people can buy their medicine. They can do what they need to do. So, you know, it from an engineering standpoint, it's building hyperscaled, unbelievably reliable systems, right? That, that have to work every day, all the time. Right. If you find that inspiring, there's no better place to work. And then we build on that. We always say what we're designing today will determine tomorrow. I'll give you a great example. So you probably use mobile payments, contactless payments and Android yep. Pay or an Apple Pay or things like that. A lot of that's built on foundational technology that came from MasterCard. Hmm. And in I'll go back quickly, like 2018, we did about 100 million of those tokenized transactions a month. We're now doing $3 billion a month. <laughs> so we always say if it doesn't scale, it doesn't matter. And to build high-scale performance systems is just a fabulous engineering challenge. So we always look for the people where, where the passion you know, is for what you do and for building those type of systems. And if that's what you want, there's no better place to be. There's another element, though, and uh, just to expand on that, is we're constantly doing, it's not necessarily pure research, but applied research. Because I always say, if there's anything out there that does what we do better, we'll be the first to adopt. It. And so AI is just a fantastic topic for it. You know, we talked a little bit earlier about, you know, the parameters on how you use it. But let me just one moment on, on, on what we do with it. We have a, a platform. It's called our decision management platform. It's just like this engineering marvel where we have 2 billion card profiles with a couple of hundred analytical vectors hung off of it that in real time looks at every one of the transactions flowing through the network. We did about 125 billion last year. And in less than 50 milliseconds, running unbelievable nines, we actually can score and inject in whether or not we think that's fraud. That systems has stopped over $10 billion worth of fraud just this year alone. And that's not potential fraud. That's when the bad guys gave up because it wasn't getting through. But what was more interesting out of it, because of how we use the AI, we had a six times increase from the rules-based stuff in good transactions that go through. Joel, that's you as a customer going to do something and we know it's good. So nothing gets in your way and you get what you want to do. 
So that idea of building for scale, building for resiliency, building you know systems that are important that people depend on every every day everywhere, that's kind of the inspiration we take. And so when you look at your role on a day-to-day basis of running this or representing at least this side of the organization, where what are the two maybe three areas where you spend most of your time? Sure. It's uh, in a job like this, and I'm sure a lot of people listening to this podcast have a, have a similar job. It's almost split brain. Because I always say the experience is the operation. It's keeping our promises every day. It's making sure that every transaction counts, that, that we're, we're focused on that. And so we really, really are obsessed with the run. But at the same time, you got to build your future. And what we're doing for modernization, and that's both the core modernization of the underlying network and what we're doing to anticipate what's going to happen next, like we talked about earlier, to apply research and incorporate new technologies like we've done with uh, AI and the fraud engines to always make it smarter and always make it better. And then probably what's most exciting for me is how can you solve problems you never solved before? So just like a decade ago, we were working with uh, the mobiles majors to make their uh, smartphones platforms for commerce. You know, we're working with automotive companies now because your car is just a computer on wheels. So what's the contextual commerce for there? And so all the ways we can make people's lives more easier, bring in new capabilities. We talked a lot about the services we build. You know, what are new services that, that naturally fit in with what we're doing? So it really is saying as society and consumer behavior changes, how are we constantly adapting and incorporating for that? And, uh, you know, over and over, what, we, what we're designing today will determine the future. So I think for everyone, it's, it's how do you have that kind of split brain of making sure everything's working and always being ready for what's next. Uh, I had great advice years ago uh, to do a job like this, and it was, you know, you got to know when to be on the dance floor and when to be on the balcony. And you can't spend all your time in either place. And you got to know contextually when you should be where. And that's kind of kind of what the job's like. Yes, it's definitely part art. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The quantum, quantum storm, quantum computing, yeah. that's been a word that's thrown out a lot. You know, breaking encryption was an interesting one. Yep. Uh, I talked with a couple of people. They had said that, we have quantum safe encryptions at this was about a year ago and they said that the only difference between the quantum safe and the non-quantum safe is that the quantum safe took longer and this was in specifically in relation to blockchain technology yeah how are you thinking about quantum computing well the first thing i and i'm not sure you're talking to i would correct them i wouldn't say it's safe i would say it's resistant so at a minimum i think a lot of people look at the current technology we use for public key encryption is really based on what's something that's really hard to calculate. So if you had a computer that could calculate that in, you know, substantially better way, then there's real risks there. If there's something called Shor's algorithm, which is how you can factor large primes. And, you know, from a risk standpoint, therefore you say, look, in a indeterminate time frame, there's something that could have a massive negative impact. So that puts you pretty high on your risk radar. So we're doing a couple of things for that. Um, moving away from straight RSA, we've incorporated things like uh, elliptical curve cryptology. Uh, the NSA has just put out a set of recommendations for what I would call quantum resistant techniques that we're already and have already incorporated into some of the work we're doing on the network. There's national and global standard boards that we participate heavily in. 
because a lot of times everyone's got to make it work for it to work for everyone. So there's a group called EMV, which does the, remember the old chips that you would glue to a plastic card? Yeah. Um, they oh, yeah. defined all the standards around that. We're working with them for, as a standards body, for how do you make sure we'll have quantum resistance encryption on that. And then the other thing is the, the, the technology, which could be a problem, could also be the solution for it. So, in fact, I just want an award on this one. I'm kind of proud about it. Uh, we've already tested quantum key distribution, QKD, where you use actually entanglement to secretly move, in essence, not a field that could be calculated, but a one-time key, which is incredibly secure, a truly randomized key to all points in the network. So, therefore, you don't have to worry about a quantum computer breaking the encryption because there's nothing to break. There's no problem to solve. So, we already... Uh, tested that out. We worked with some great partners, Arista, Cisco, Verizon, but we were able to demonstrate using fiber. So you have about a hundred kilometer, I think, distance for this. But we could show that the network we're putting in place, our backbone would be ready for quantum key encryption. So that's the sort of forward-looking handicapping you do. I don't know if we're ever going to need it. I don't know when we're going to need it, but you know our baseline systems are ready for it. And then last one on quantum, you get to the business driver side, which is you know, are there incredibly hard problems that we need to solve that this could solve in a new way? So we've seen a lot in things like uh, drug research. It looks like there's really potentially interesting things there. Well, if you think about it, we have all of that information that's coming from the transaction flow and the ability to distill new information from it by applying powerful new analytical techniques. It's something we've been working on. We did deal with D-Wave a while ago to do some primary research on that. So I, I think there's always a question of clarity versus proximity. I think some of the impacts of quantum computing are quite clear. The question is how far away is it? And our, our view there is just something you, you plan for and get ready for. I want to talk a little bit about leadership. I'm watching the time too. We will get you out of here on your hard stop. Everybody's going to be happy. Fantastic. Thank uh, you. I saw empathy written a lot in, in your bios <laughs> and then in different <laughs> descriptions. I was like, all right, this guy likes the word empathy. <laughs> Yeah. There's got to be a story there. Can you explain your experience with empathy? So many things. Uh, but what a, when we were, um, I was just doing a tech strategy for our board. And one of the things I always say is, in the end, any tech strategy is just a people and talent strategy. Technology doesn't do anything. It's who we are and what we do with it. So I think our primary role as technology leaders is to create environments, to create a space where people can do their best work. And if you want that, you've really got to understand and honor the work we're doing, that, that, that they're doing. And so I, I think a lot of times we get so fascinated with the how it works and we don't quite spend enough time on who does it and what it means to them. And we ask, all of us, ask tremendous things out of our people. Um, when you asked earlier about MasterCard and knowing what we do is important, and when things go wrong, when things break, because they always do, it's just amazing to be at our facility here and see people come in with like bunk rolls because they will not loot until those problems are under the ground. And at that point, you can just only be grateful for that. And the other thing I'd say is my early career, most of my early career, I had, th I had three startups. And, you know, fortunately, they all made it, right? They're all, 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 all successful there. But what you realize is when you have no brand, you have no customers, you have no revenue, you barely have a product yet. The whole company is just the product of the people who show up every day to make it happen. 
And I think in many companies, and it's something I don't want to miss in a MasterCard, you know, we're standing on the shoulders of giants who helped build the organization, you know, incredibly successful for over 50 years. But you got to realize all of that, all of that is just a product, the dedication, will, skill of the people who came in every day to make it happen. And so that's where I start. I've been seeing that, well, as you just described it in your company and Tesla, SpaceX, there are these certain companies that they'll get this core group of people yeah. who really genuinely wake up every day because they understand that this is their contribution in life and, and to society. And to me, I am so grateful uh, for those people because my life depends on all these amazing things working really well and working together. So uh, I like I like getting to, you know, I, I do a lot of these conversations. I think we're like north of 700 now. So wow. you're, one of, you're one of the rare ones. Uh, <laughs> we can edit around that and everything, but just between you and me, right? Yeah. Like uh, the culture there, the way you describe it, I don't think I've ever gotten that answer before. I've, I've gotten the answer a lot when hiring about curious people. We like curious people. We like problem solvers. But I, I don't think I've ever gotten that answer that you gave me where you said the people that really truly care about this specific problem. I think a lot of people are almost scared to say that because they don't want to yeah. alienate people or, or lower their recruiting numbers or anything like that. But when you find greatness, and I can tell uh, that there's greatness within MasterCard, when you find that, it's, I'm, I'm, I want to study it. You know, I'm like, <laughs> how are they doing that? Yeah. Yeah, I, I think we're all that way. And, and, you know, maybe it's a little bit about myself, but my wife in the past has referred to me as binary boy. Like you gotta be all in. Like what we do, like either I'm done or I'm all in. Cause what we do, it just takes so much out of people. And, and, and it, it, there should be a passion there. And, you know, I've always felt whether it's the smallest startup, like literally two guys in a, and, and, and a blank piece of paper to what we're seeing at MasterCard is just you get people who are really smart, absolutely committed to the cause and not being a jerk about it. And yeah. that's where magic happens. From a leadership perspective, you mentioned your wife, your family. How have you been able to have such a notable career and, and, and do well and solve these problems, but also be able to lead your family? Yeah, that's, um, and this is something I talk to people a lot about. You have to find what works for you. And I'll tell you what I learned doesn't work for me. I do not like uh, timeshare well. Right. I, 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 uh, so what I try to do is when I'm home with my family, I try to be all the way there with them. And I remember years ago when like the Blackberry was the Crackberry and I never wanted my kid to think like this was more important than them. So I had like a secret room in my house that I would leave it. So if I had to go, I would do that. But I, I see that all the time. It breaks my heart where like someone's holding a device and they're pushing, they're literally pushing their kid away. Right. Uh. So, what I try to do is task switching is incredibly expensive, right? Just from a processing standpoint. So when I'm working and I also travel a lot, which in an odd way helps, I'm sort of 24 five. But when I'm home with my family, I want to bring an equal commitment to that. And I want them to know that they are the most important thing in the world that I'm going to have to go away and do other stuff. So I know people and they're fantastic at it. And they can be on the sidelines of their kid's game and just knock off a couple of emails and they do that. My brain doesn't work that way. Me either. So the first, thing, first yeah. thing I tell everyone is find what works for you. But just like we talked about, if the work's important for you, your family's got to know that they are the most important thing. And the other thing I'll say as a leader, you got to live that. If, if somebody's got something with their family, 
that is more important than we're doing. And that's where the team is the strength. Let them know you'll cover for them. Let them know yes. that, look, all this will be here for you when you get back. And we need you to take care of your business so you can be all here to help us with our business. So I, I, I really, like you talked about, I go by it about that, where I, I really try to say, this is my context now, and then I'll switch into the other context. In fact, uh, my daughter uh, used to catch me. I have a tell. When I start really thinking about work, my right hand floats up. <laughs> and she would catch me and like grab it and pull it down. And, and so then I'd switch back to the right context. So that's why I tell people, figure out what works. Some people are great at time slicing and interleaving and they can do that. I'm just really bad at it. So I play it differently. Yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm like you. I can't, if I'm in the email, I'm in the email. I'm not even at the game, yeah. you know, yeah. type deal. And to your point of leading your family, the better job I do at home, the more stable of a foundation and supportive of a foundation I have, the better my performance. They're, they're, inex- they're entangled with certainty. Yeah. 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 And, and, and there's probably a third piece of that. I assume you have yeah. the same too, but it's also giving yourself time to think. Because it is really easy and there's always the next thing happening and the next thing to going after and all that. So I, I intentionally carve out, I'm, I'm a pretty passionate runner and mm-hmm. I don't do music. I don't do anything. And I just use that to like grind on problems. And it's a joke I have, you know, how many miles is this one? But it, <laughs> it, it, it gives you that time. And I think people sometimes also don't give them that space and they think it's a luxury, not a necessity. And you really do have to find a way where you can just think about the stuff you're trying to untangle. And particularly if you have an operational focused job, there's always the next next ticket coming in, next thing happening on the stack, next thing like that. So I, I think that's an equally important um, part of the algorithm. Have you gotten to mastery of that? Meaning when you know you need to go on the run, you go on the run like right away? Because when I started, I my first experience would when I was engineering, uh, when I was younger, writing a program, I would have this problem and I yeah. knew I'd need to take a break, but like, I wouldn't want to take a break because I want to, but I knew I needed to, and that would be the answer. And so as I got older and farther along in my career, I got better at that, but I'm by no means like a master. I, I it still gets at me and I still have, or have you mastered it? Is that yeah, possible? Not, well, particularly with scheduling, it's not usually a run, but I do find, I always say the longer you go um, without, going outside this dimmer you get. So I will force myself to break context. I will say, I'm just churning here. And that get up, take a walk, like you, you don't lose the problem, but you force yourself to look at it differently. I, mm-hmm. I think that, that, is a, that is a key. Well, Ed, you are a brilliant human being. I love the, sure. the culture over at MasterCard and, and our time together today. We made a podcast, man. How do you feel? All right. Well, it's great talking to you. And, and yeah. I, I, I'd love to do it some more, man. I, 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 let me uh, give it back to you. I think uh, very insightful on the questions you had there. And these are big topics. These are really important topics. And I think really what's happening is these are societal topics that are just sort of expressing themselves through technology. And we really do have to take the time to think about it. Thank you so much for listening. And if you found this episode useful, please share it with a friend or a colleague who you think would get value from it. And if you have topics that you'd like to hear discussed on the podcast, either add me on LinkedIn or send me an email, joel at moderncto.io. Every time I get an email or LinkedIn message, it absolutely makes my day and inspires me to keep going.